All right, welcome into the latest edition of Limeland Hoops and History. I'm your host, Matt Childers. Great to be with you on this uh, snowy evening. Uh, now that we've turned the corner into February, uh, we're presented by Westgate Entertainment Center. All the good folks at Westgate. If you haven't had their pizza yet in 2021, make sure you stop by Westgate Entertainment Center before the game, after the game, lunch or dinner. Uh, and this is a special edition of the uh, Limeland Hoops in history. Uh, it's my good friend, uh, my old colleague from Texas. He's our Southwest Bureau Chief. It's Clayton Duncan, everybody. Clayton, welcome to the podcast. Matty, it's good to be here. It's been too long, my friend. It has. You've joined me many times on the radio. Why didn't you get into the radio and TV world? I tell you what, you know, I, first of all, I'm not much to look at. Uh, I, uh, second of all, as your listeners will soon find out, I'm long-winded. Uh, and those are just the top two reasons. There's plenty <laughs> of others behind that. Yeah. So, all right, just for fun, uh, you grew up uh, in Texas. You went to Texas Tech, and then you went to SMU Law School, and that's where we met uh, back in the mid-'90s, and we've been buddies ever since. Uh Man, how would you describe your journey since uh, since your high school days? Well, you know, the first thing I figured out is there was more to life and more to the world than just Lubbock, Texas. So that was an <laughs> eye-awakening experience for me. Um, you know, my journey has been, look, I, probably like a lot of your listeners, you know, just incredibly fortunate and have lived a blessed life with friends like yourself and family and job. And, you know, we live in this great country that appears to be a little bit broken right now but you know I, i've just been fortunate to surround myself with some great people uh that put us you know i find myself in really great situations a lot of times those are humorous but you know just feel you know I, i've heard this thing it's been described that the number one factor in determining a person's success is where and when they were born right mm. and so we were we were born uh, in the middle of the greatest country uh, in the world at a time of great wealth and prosperity. So I feel like the deck's been stacked in our favor in that way. I'd love to hear that. Uh, I think Warren Buffett was pretty uh, instrumental in saying something that's uh, f uh, fairly sim similar to that, Clayton. Uh, and uh, you've got that beautiful wife, Stephanie, and you've got uh, two little ones that just keep on growing, man. They're like uh, weeds uh, in a garden. Uh, how old are uh, your two uh, little ones? Yep, they're not so little anymore. So, uh, you know, my wife, Steph, I'm tall. I'm 6'5". My wife's, you know, 5'11". She played volleyball at the University of Texas. And my kids are catching up really, really quickly. So my oldest is 15. He's a freshman at a public school here in Austin, Texas. He is uh, getting a chance to play some varsity trash time minutes in basketball right now as a freshman. Uh, and my daughter's right behind him. She's an eighth grader and, and playing volleyball and basketball and all the other crazy things that girls do that I have no idea what that's all about. So, <laughs> uh, so uh, oh, that that's great. That's great. So, um, all right. So you got a Texas household and a Texas Tech household. Uh, where do the uh, – it's Campbell and yeah, – Campbell and Parker. Yeah, and, Campbell and and Parker's my daughter. Yeah, and Parker. Uh, so where do they come down in that uh, very, very 
very important selection of Texas Tech, the Red Raiders, or the Longhorns from Texas? Yeah, so I would tell you they they each have a, an affinity for both, and that's probably not surprising. My son, anytime Tech and UT match up, he's pulling for Tech, no questions about it. He's wearing Tech gear. And my daughter, depending upon whether she's trying to get on my good side, maybe she needs a few dollars here and there. You know, she'll 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 support Tech then. But I, you know, if I really had to cut her to the core, I think you'd find a little nugget of Longhorn right in the middle of her. Yeah, well, and you grew, you're they're growing up in Austin. It's tough to stop the yeah. propaganda, right? I mean, no, I even that, that, that's, that that propaganda machine doesn't stop, my friend. Yeah, it does I, not. I actually uh, even became it's so strong when we lived in Dallas. Uh, in the mid-90s, I became a Dallas Cowboys fan with Jimmy Johnson, Troy Aikman, and, and uh, Emmett Smith, Michael Irvaday. Uh, okay, so if Ohio State is big in Ohio, how big, you mentioned the University of Texas and your wife played volleyball there, how big is the University of Texas uh, in terms of popularity in Texas? It's a little different, right? We're a bigger state. We have big state schools and uh, that, that you might not have in Ohio, you know, maybe akin to, to Michigan with Michigan and Michigan State. I, I would tell you that they clearly sit in the lead chair. I, they are our flagship institution. They, as UT goes, our conference goes for better and for worse. But, you know, when you have Texas A&M, you have Texas Tech, you have a big uh, state school and University of Houston that's on the rise, certainly in basketball right now. And then you have these private schools that that have great backing in TCU and SMU. Um, it, it gets a little bit more chopped up. But I would tell you that UT is much to my chagrin, but they are our, flag st- our flagship institution and and everybody knows Texas Longhorns, both in in Texas and outside of Texas. Yeah, indeed. Uh, they have a new coach uh, on the football side and uh, Shaka Smart on the hoop side. Uh, if you look at what do folks think in the great state of Texas, what do they think of the Big Ten, Ohio State, and the relationship to the national conversation both in football and then in Big Ten hoops? Well, I think in many ways the Big Ten embodies a lot of what the Big 12 and certain schools within the Big 12 would like to be. Great academic institutions, great athletic prowess that's out there. Um, And so, you know, because we're separated by enough distance, I think that that there's a lack of animosity or lack of sort of this competitive, we've got to be better than the Big Ten out there. And I think there's a lot of uh, of appreciation for what the Big Ten is versus the SEC, which there is a big state school in Texas, Texas A&M, that is part of the SEC. And so there's a little bit more animosity there. And, you know, when there was this conference realignment several years ago, there was a lot of talk about at least University of Texas joining the Big Ten. Mm. And I think ultimately what kept that from happening, that would have been great for the Big Ten. It would have been great for the University of Texas. But they also were going to be tethered to schools like Texas Tech and maybe a few others that aren't thought of as highly academically as the Big Ten is. Now, from my perspective, that shouldn't matter. 
I mean, it's great to be great academically, but we're look, we're talking about athletics that are out there. And so I always thought that that was a kind of a BS barrier to, to entering into the Big Ten. But there, there's a lot of respect, I think, towards the Big Ten. I think we appreciate the football that's played out there. Of course, our basketball conference, the Big 12, resembles the Big Ten this year in that it's a rock fight every single night that's out there. Um but, you know, you look at the Ohio States and the Michigans for and Penn States, uh, sometimes Michigan State, they've come down to Texas and recruited a lot of the top athletes mm. that a lot of those of us that live here would love for them to stay in conference and play. But that that's the power that the Big Ten has. Yeah, for sure. Clayton Duncan joining us here on Lima Land. Hoops in History, a special edition with our Southwest Bureau Chief. He's joined us many times on the radio program uh, that we do on Saturday morning. Uh, is there a more attractive group? Uh, when I lived in uh, Dallas, Texas, is there a more attractive group than that Red River shootout with Oklahoma and uh, Texas playing 100 miles from each other? Or, you know, it's kind of the equidistance from uh, Norman and from Austin coming into Dallas. Uh, that blew me away when I first saw what was happening there with what I would consider the very, very pretty people that come all from the state to the state fair. By the way, the state fair is happening at the Cotton Bowl, and here comes in, you know, hundreds of thousands of people to the tailgate for both Oklahoma and Texas. And by the way, there's quite a bit of wealth there too. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of people that are done up, as we like to call it down here, going to that game. <laughs> and there's a ton of animosity. And what's interesting is that Oklahoma, OU, a lot of their student body enrollment, it, it consists of Texans, right? So you've got Dallas right up there, you know, 90 miles from the OU border. And so there are a lot of Texans that choose to go to OU. And so th those rival rivalries and friendly rival rivalries run really, really deep. But I tell you what, you know, that what's interesting about that whole matchup is you're right. It takes place in Fair Park uh, at the Cotton Bowl where the State Fair of Texas is. And you'll remember, it's not the best area of Dallas out there, but for one weekend and for a couple of weeks out of the year when people are going to the state fair, it, it becomes basically like Disney World out there. And and some of the things you'll see and some of the things you'll hear out there, you'll probably never forget. And it's a, it's a great game. It's a great environment. It takes place at the Cotton Bowl, which is this dilapidated old historic stadium. And, you know, it holds roughly 80 upper 80,000 but there's there's a hundred thousand people at that game and the guys taking tickets at the door augment their income by also taking 20s which double <laughs> as a ticket there so you can you can get to that game even without a ticket it's, uh, it's a it's I love quite it. a scene i mean is it is it safe to be in that building do you think define safe <laughs> <laughs> that it's not going to collapse because I, I i have to say you know, I'm going back to the mid-90s, and it didn't feel safe then when we went. Yeah, you know, it's it's great. I mean, they built things better back then, right? Like, structurally, that thing is huge. Now, trying to get to a restroom or getting some of the concessions there, is, yeah. it, 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 it's a little bit difficult. But, you know, when Jerry Jones um, was selecting the new location for his stadium, uh, Fair Park was in the running, and that would have totally renovated that that part of Dallas right there and, and the Dallas City Council couldn't ever get together and 
Jerry Jones coming in asking for money, which I probably would have deserved um, to, to redo that entire place. But that would have put that would have put a, a, a new shine on that area of Dallas. And I, you know, as a guy who loves Dallas, lived there for a long time. Uh, I, I think that's a missed opportunity for the city of Dallas. But mm-hmm. I tell you what, what they've done in Arlington and drawing people from Fort Worth, which is Tarrant County, uh, it's had a tremendous impact out there. But it's it's a it's a it's a great place to go watch a football game and and unfortunately they don't play the cotton bowl there anymore that's played in jerry world but it's it's fun it's special anytime you get to go there and you're happy when you walk out of there alive yeah i'll tell you what it was a great man i had a couple of three-year great experiences there and uh, a number of them with you i i didn't realize uh, a friend of mine uh, came in from uh, college and he stayed at the four seasons uh, which is actually you know west of dallas but that's where he was staying so i went out and stayed with him and um i didn't realize how that an orange juice at the four seasons was like nine dollars at the time and then i saw all of these texas fans alumni and uh, oklahoma alumni and they had like you know nine or ten orange juices uh, along <laughs> with everything else and i i started adding it up in my head as a young guy going wow there's a lot of money coming into this game so it was it yeah, was a, to, it was a true two, joy. Two words for you there, Matt. Mineral rights, right? Mm. Like those people have mineral rights. Yeah, yeah right. They're yeah. pulling oil out. It's that it's that's the mailbox money that doesn't doesn't stop. Ah, uh, that's great. Uh, all right, so uh, so for those folks uh, that are uh, listening to the podcast, we'll do some reminiscing here and and do some current stuff. Uh, Mid nineties uh, and in really early nineties, uh, Jerry Jones buys the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, comes in and summarily, you know, fires Tom Landry, which is, you know, the architect of the Dallas Cowboys for all those years. The head coach brings in this brash guy by the name of Jimmy Johnson. And, uh, oh, by the way, they ended up with, uh, I would say Jimmy ended up with three, Jerry with three Super Bowls and and Jimmy with two and a half because, you know, they ended up getting in a fight and Barry Switzer came in just to kind of, you know, manage the team for a couple of years. Uh, what are your recollections of that time with Jimmy Johnson, Jerry Jones, uh, and then, of course, Troy Aikman and those great uh, Dallas Cowboys teams? Yeah, so, you know, the first thing that I recall is that, you know, Jones bought that team from a an old banking and oilman named Bum Bright. And and if, you know, go way back to the, to the late 80s, you know, Tom Landry and his general manager, who's a icon, Tech Schramm, you know, they were they were long in the teeth. And, you know, part of the speculation is that Bum sold the team because he really didn't want to be the guy that fired Tech Schramm and and uh, and Tom Landry. And, you know, that's just that, that's how Jerry's tenure was started out there. Right. So um, and of course, that's uh, like firing Jesus when you mm-hmm. come in there and fire Tom Landry. And, and so. Um, you know, that that led to a lot of the things to come with Jerry that he overcame with the hiring, the brash hiring of his old teammate from Arkansas, uh, Jimmy Johnson and, and, and then Jimmy Johnson's prowess and, and going and getting, you know, Troy Aikman and building that team right there. But, you know, you you actually have to go back just a step further before Jerry started going forward and say, well, what, what did he come in? What did he take over and how did he start to build this reputation? Um, 
of just an icon, but you know, you, you're you're not lukewarm on on Jerry Jones there. But that that was the real first step, and and then of course once that thing got started, even in some of the lean years um, right after that, where they were you know winning one game or a couple of games, you just knew that they were building something special, and and you know and and that fast start for Jerry, albeit rocky really set the table for all of the expectations, the outsized, Texas-sized expectations to come uh, for for that franchise right there. But it's, you know, he, he got started fast, came in fast and hot, and, and you know, that, that, was in, that was in Jerry's nature. He doesn't know how to do it any other way, and that, that really continues to this day. A lot of my uh, peer set in orbit uh, today are asking the 50%, 50%, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, or if you had 100%, how much would you uh, attribute to each one? How much would you attribute the success of the Dallas Cowboys in the 90s percentage-wise to Jones or to Johnson? Well, I think you would have to go – there's a lot of ways to slice that, right? But I I would attribute more to Johnson than I would to Jones, but Johnson doesn't happen without Jones. And so just like Belichick and Brady, one doesn't happen without the other. But if you just set, set that aside and said, nope, you know, gun to your head, you got to make a choice, it's clearly Jimmy Johnson and his drafting uh, and his leadership and even setting up Barry Switzer to go win his Super Bowl there. Um, you know, it's the organization to this day has Jimmy Johnson's fingerprints all over it, and he hasn't been there in 20 years, right? Yeah, yeah. I think if his like real like hands would be on it, they'd be a lot more successful than what they've been in the last uh, you know twenty years for sure. Uh, I think Johnson yeah, just you know, I think Johnson's just a better football guy than Jones. He is. He's also a great fisherman. His hands are all over uh, mahi mahi and all kinds of stuff down there in Florida right now. He, so I think he's he's are, doing okay. Are you surprised? I, I'm surprised that Jim Trestle never came back to coach. Are you surprised yeah. that Jimmy Johnson never came back? Uh, after his run with uh, the Dolphins, I am except except for Jimmy is in constant pursuit of excellence, mm. and it led him to problems with his marriage and problems, you know, raising his kids, and you know that's not always the best thing to have this singular focus on excellence. And yeah. look, I I think that he reached the mountaintop. He in college he reached the mountaintop in pros um and he's making a lot of money on tv and getting to live during the week down uh in the keys and flying back to wherever he flies back to i don't know if it's la or new york to do a show yeah it's la and and i would just tell you that i think that jimmy is uh all about being the best and i've read several articles about his fishing pursuits and he's out there <clears throat> trying to be the best fisherman he could possibly be, and you know that's uh, I I I applaud him for that. I really do. And, and you know the, the the analog would be you know Tom Brady and his pursuit that keeps going, and he wants to play till he's forty five. You know the I I, I uh, you know I I, I heard uh, some folks talking the other day on the radio just saying you know maybe. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe he shouldn't do that. You know, we wish he wouldn't do that because he's already accomplished everything and he's got so much to go experience. And 
you know, I, I applaud Jimmy for that. It's I, I think those you know, he, he's put together a little bit differently than obviously Urban's put together and, and all of that. But he's yeah. he's right where he needs to be. He he was recently Jimmy Johnson was just recently Clayton talking to uh, Dan Patrick, and he's just a treat to listen to. And he, he's really, in my opinion, he's a genius coach. But that being said, uh, he said his first days in Dallas. Uh, he was actually going into the office, and let's say that he would get there at 5.30, and he's like, well, Dave Wanstead was in there at 5.15, uh, his great coordinator over the years. And so Jimmy got there at 5.15, and then the next thing you know, you know, they're both coming in at 5 and 5.01, and the next thing it's 4.45 and it's 4.30, and Jimmy said, I had to have a conversation with Dave and just say, we, we, we got to stop this. We got to agree, okay, it's 5 o'clock or it's 5.15, and uh, they ended up doing that, but uh, yeah, he's. I think he. I. He, I just think he's tremendous, and I think it's the reason that the Cowboys uh, won what they did back in the day uh, in the, in the '90s when they won their three Super Bowls. And uh, I think he's just a uh, legendary. Uh, he's a he's a lifetime footballer, and you can hear that in talking to to Dan Patrick. And you're right, he's got a great gig on Fox and. When you're allowed to travel, or you know, when things open up, he he flies to L.A. once a week. But right now, he's doing it uh, virtually, and you wonder he may end up not, you know, he may do it virtually going forward. He may end up not going to L.A. Uh, Jerry Jones, Clayton, um, do you think that they sign uh, not a not another franchise tag on Dak Prescott, uh, who was injured this year? Do you think they they sign him long term? I do. I, I think they do. And, you know, interestingly, I think the national media has made up their mind that, that Dak is the only quarterback for, for the Cowboys. And I, I, you know, and, you know, when they you come down to their contract negotiation last year, it really wasn't about money. It was about years that were out there. And, you know, given where Jerry has been and, some of his experiences here, certainly, you know, back with Emmett, and you remember when Emmett held out and Dallas started started off the season not doing well, and they brought back Emmett, and they they just took off. You know, I feel like Jerry's probably learned his lesson there, um, and you know, I, I don't know. Jerry has been around a long time, and and certainly been around longer than he'll be around in the in the football world. And, you know, I, I, I'm not certain that, that Dak isn't the guy that he wants to – I believe he is the guy that he'd like to bet on to take this one more run with some of the some of the tools that he's put around there. Yeah, they had lots of injuries this year, and including Dak Prescott in a pretty weak division. I think they'll look back at this year and be really uh, bummed out that uh, he got hurt so early in the season and then was not able to perform because that that uh, that division with the Eagles and the Giants and the and the uh, Washington football team just not a a good one. Let's segue into some hoops, man. Uh, we look at Texas, and you know when I think of Texas, I think of you know uh, back in the day Don Nelson, the Mavericks, uh, Dick Mata, the three J's, Jimmy Jackson, Jamal Mashburn, and Jason Kidd. That's when I lived in Dallas. Uh, and then Mark Cuban now emerges. They get a title uh, over the Miami Heat and uh, the uh, Le- the uh, LeBron James led Miami Heat. Uh, how would you describe, you know, your lifetime worth of Dallas Mavericks, which 
came into play uh, probably in the, uh, what, uh, late 70s, early 80s. But really, when we lived there in the 90s, that's when it really became a team going forward to what it is now. Yeah, look, I've had a lifetime love affair with the Dallas Mavericks. And, it you know, it, certainly, you know, the three J's and then you get into Dirk and Steve Nash. But mine actually started before there with – uh, Mark Aguirre, mm-hmm. uh, Roe Blackman, James Donaldson, and 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 that whole group that was you know back there that that, that was their first real uh, just really good uh, just team that they had to challenge the Lakers back then and never really got over the hump. But when you grew up in West Texas and certainly the days before cable and widespread cable you took the broadcast that you got. So we got the Chicago Cubs, we got the Atlanta Braves, the Atlanta Hawks on WGN, and we'd get the Dallas Cowboys and and Dallas Mavericks and Texas Rangers. So it was a little bit forced upon me, but I've loved them through thick and thin and really ridden the wave with those guys up until they won that world championship, which was really unexpected and even since then unheralded world championship. but you know what a what a great organization it is from a Texas basketball perspective. It's not the Knicks, it's not the Bulls, it's not the Lakers, it's not the Spurs right down the street. But people from North Texas, Central Texas, West Texas really get behind the Dallas Mavericks, and 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 you know I, I would tell you that we love the current product, but we've if you're really a fan of basketball and if you're really a fan of Maverick basketball. That you could go back and name, you know, all these players and you know uh, wins, even if they don't result in championships and, and losses and dry spells, et cetera. But it's been it's been a great run, and I, I love the team we have. I love the arena they play in. I love their owner. Um, you just want them to pull it together, and the future looks bright with Luca. Although they're on a six-game losing streak right now. Yeah. But it's. A, it's a it's a great organization that's again mark cuban is driven to be the best and he's a flashy guy and and you know you're going to have money behind you and support and organizational structure behind you when you have mark cuban as an owner yeah texas is such a big state uh we're visiting with clayton duncan uh our southwest bureau chief here on lima land hoops in history presented by westgate entertainment center check out their great pizza and uh, if you haven't lately, it's awesome in 2021. Clayton, it's such a big state in Texas, and yet you have San Antonio with Greg Popovich. You go back to uh, the Hakeem Olajuwon, Kenny Smith uh, days, yeah. uh, Clyde Drexler. That was right there in that same window where, that we were talking about in the mid-'90s uh, where they get two championships. G- give me a paragraph on Popovich, and then give me a – paragraph on uh, the the Houston Rockets uh, I think they were coached by Rudy Tomjanovich if I'm not mistaken yeah Ru- Ru- Rudy T look I mean Greg Popovich is he is up there in my book um, with some of the great coaches in any sport I also think you know his history of service to the country his unfiltered takes on political situations that are out there his uh, innovation in hiring non-traditional coaches, whether they be females, whether they be you know ex-players like Tim Duncan. I mean, you know, Greg Popovich, he, he just points to the rafters, just scoreboard, right? Like he's built an organization that does it the right way. They're constructed with his DNA. 
Um, some of the greatest players of our lifetimes have played there. Uh, and he wasn't scared to go dip his toe into the international waters when that wasn't necessarily uh, as popular as it is today. So what I love about Pop is just his sense of uh, appropriate sense of self, self-worth. And it, there was a great article, I think it was in ESPN, Maddie, around these dinners that Greg Popovich will put on mm. from time to time. And he'll, you know, whether it's a road trip or, you know, but when Pop calls a dinner, A, you know, it's going to be incredible food. He is a world-class wine connoisseur, um, and he's made other wine connoisseurs' uh, uh, careers by supporting them and putting a good word in. But, the, you know, you Pop calls you to a dinner. You don't say no. Yeah. And it's, it's really a fantastic story. And, and I think that's emblematic of the way he thinks about his team and his relationships and that's uh, as his family and of course he's lost his wife within the past couple of years uh he you know doesn't have sons and so he's always taken a family approach there and i've always appreciated that about pop even if some of the greatest victories that dallas mavericks have ever had and crushing defeats have, have been uh against the san antonio spurs at the hands of yeah at the, at the hands of uh yeah. or at the he, expense of he, uh, he could he he i agree with uh everything you said he could clean up his uh, little you know inner uh action with the re- the sideline reporter just a sure. just a just a bit right sure yeah that's become a you could give him character. you could give him a few lessons yourself yeah, but that's become his little caricature, and if he derives enjoyment out of it, uh, that's that's great. But the, you know the, you know then you go to the Rudy T teams and Heart of a Champion, uh, and those teams that again just you know were really sandwiched in um, some some runs by some other teams that were out there. But you know that that was a team that had its back against the wall. Really reflects the grittiness of the city of Houston. And for your listeners that, that know or don't know, I mean, Houston is this behemoth. I mean, it is a massive city. Yeah. Uh, it is a blue collar city and it is incredibly different. Although in the same state as Dallas, Dallas and Houston could not be any different. And, and the teams really reflect those differences and, and really the glory days of the Houston Rockets were, were fantastic because they just came together. Uh, they had you know great leadership. Some of the greatest players ever to play basketball uh, played down there, and, and a couple of those came out of the University of Houston and ended up at uh, at, at the Houston Rockets. And and so you know Houston's a uh, if, if Dallas is a front running showy town, Houston just has this this blue collar pride about all of their teams, whether it's the Astros, the Rockets, the the old oil pillars or the Texans and, and you know, they, they have a storied legacy as well. And, and th- those championships were really, really special. Yeah. Uh, you said sandwich, you're right. It was all around, uh, the Lakers and, uh, on the front end and the back end and then the bulls with Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan and Hakeem Olajuwon in that same draft, uh, back in 1983, where Olajuwon goes one and Jordan somehow went three, uh, where Sam Bowie got uh, stuck in the middle of those two, um, how would you describe? You've seen the the Last Dance with Jordan. You've seen, you know, it, it's I, I can't believe the kind of the animosity 
uh, with LeBron, uh, just to be even in that same conversation as Jordan. How would you frame that conversation with Michael Jordan, uh, who you saw right in your heyday, and now LeBron as your as your kids are growing up? So full disclosure, I grew up in the Jordan era and was a huge Jordan fan. And part of that relates to the fact that we got the Bulls games um, uh, oh, WGN. On, on, yeah. on WGN, where we get, you know, we were getting the Hawks and Braves on, on WTBS. And, and um, you know, I think as I've matured in this, and I do have this discussion quite often with my son, who is a basketball player and a freshman. And of course, he's grown up in the LeBron James era. And I don't know that I've ever seen anybody that is as pleasing to the eye from a basketball uh, from a basketball perspective as Michael Jordan and the things that he would do and the frequency with which he would do it and his competitiveness um, and taking a team uh, to you know his uh, you know, to, to all of those you know to six titles out there. Um, uh, and in many ways a flawed individual, but I would just tell you from my perspective, Jordan uh, has been and likely will be number one, but but also being a man of a certain age, I wouldn't even entertain that conversation about LeBron James. I really wouldn't have it. I'm like, you had to have seen Jordan play. And uh, But I will say this, what LeBron is doing at his age and for the longevity that he's done it, and the inherent leadership capabilities that he has demonstrated wherever he has gone, um, he's, he's, he's got a strong argument. And, uh, you know, as I've maybe mellowed and matured, uh, <laughs> watching what he does with the Lakers and what he did at the Heat and certainly what he did for the Cavs and you, you can't take that away from him, not to mention his level of advocacy uh, and wading into some issues that Jordan uh, stayed away from. And I know those are two different time periods that we're talking about there. Th- that has to be weighed in here. And LeBron has done some amazing things behind the scenes for those that are less fortunate, uh, disadvantaged. And, you know, look, I, I don't love everything that he does. I don't love everything that he says, but I hand it to him in going out there and being completely unafraid, not to mention the business empire that he has built Mm. uh, around himself while he's succeeding on the court. Uh, I am in awe of his physical training regimen that he puts himself through, the amount of work that he puts himself through. I I think that uh, overshadows Jordan. Jordan's raw competitiveness uh, probably carried him through and and maybe give, you know, he's going to win in the competitive battle. but, But I tell you what, right? So I, uh, I can remember when The Chosen One was on the cover of Sports Illustrated uh, and all of those days between then and when he came to Cleveland the first time. And I, I you know, my, I, I just remember my dominant emotion there was, man, this just feels forced. It feels forced upon me that you're, you know, bringing LeBron James. Uh, he has erased any feeling of that being forced given the things that he has done and, and what he's accomplished out there. And so, uh, again, uh, scoreboard, and I am—I'm I, I, literally in awe of LeBron James to the point now where I root for history and rooting for LeBron to go get another one and another one and 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 put doubters in his rearview. Uh, 
I end up rooting for history, so I end up rooting for LeBron in that way. Yeah, uh, well said. Clayton Duncan joining us here on Limeland Hoops and History. Uh, not uh, uh, This is a special edition. Not much uh, on the Limeland Hoops front, but I will tell you this, uh, that uh, it's a pleasure to have Clayton with us. Uh, and when you said about Michael Jordan that you wouldn't entertain that, you, you were saying that you wouldn't even entertain the thought that somebody would be better than Jordan. Is that what you were saying at that point? Sure. Yeah, yeah of okay. course. Yeah, of yeah. course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, all right. So um, having said uh, all of that, uh, because I, I think that's a great way to sum it up. And, and you know what? I've, I've even started to just put it into decades where, um, you know, I'll say, hey, look, all of these people are in this conversation, but Joe Montana is a you know great quarterback in the 80s and John Elway uh, and Dan Marino. And yet, you know, one can say that Tom Brady's the all-time best, but I try and kind of segment it because it's just so different. It's so hard, you know, to watch what happened in the 80s with the bad boy Pistons and the Showtime Lakers in Boston and what that would be like today. I do think the greats always in any era would be greats in any era. Uh, interestingly enough, um, we, we stay on the same subject, Clayton, uh, with hoops. And uh, I, I did want to ask you, you said you went to Texas Tech, your wife played volleyball at uh, the University of Texas, which is uh, a great feat. Uh, were, were you contemplating, because you're, you're one hell of a basketball player, were you contemplating playing college basketball, uh, and did you get recruited? Yeah, I did. I, I, I was and I did. Um, most of my recruiting... Uh, again, smaller market, West Texas, really, really isolated, came from smaller schools. Um, I was recruited up to, you know, a couple of D3 schools up your way, DePaul. I think it's in Greencastle, Indiana. Great, great program. Oh, yeah. Um, had, the op- had the opportunity to play um, some small D1 and even, you know, walk on with a, uh, with a role at, at Texas Tech back when Gerald Myers was our coach, but it, you know we were a bad team back then, and I would have been uh, the worst player at the end of the bench working my butt <laughs> off. So I decided I decided to study and, and uh, take yeah. my talent to South Beach. Yeah, yeah t- take your talents to uh, Lower Greenville with uh, Southern Methodist University Law School. Um, yeah. So now with Texas Tech, uh, what was it like? Because we we've got a lot of listeners on this podcast who. Uh, know him well and followed his career and some of the coaches really patterned their game after Bobby Knight uh, who ended up uh, leaving uh, Indiana uh, probably not on his own terms and the way that he wanted probably not the way a lot of fans wanted at Indiana but he ends up in of all places Lubbock Texas what what was that like to describe Bobby Knight uh, in Texas yeah you know Bobby Knight in Texas was uh, the same as untethered Bobby Knight back in, uh, in in Indiana, and and you know he has a larger than life personality, and you are hot and cold on Bobby Knight. But I'll tell you one thing: like Jimmy Johnson, like Bill Belichick, like Bill Parcells, uh, he is a historian and a walking wealth of knowledge when it comes to coaching college basketball. And so you know Bobby Knight. Um, he, he took Tech to, to heights that they hadn't reached before. Not, not a lot, but he actually uh, got us farther and got us into the Sweet 16. But, but his, 
fingerprints are still on the program out there in Lubbock, Texas, because Chris Beard was part of uh, Bobby Knight's staff when he was out there. And Chris Beard has taken a lot of the good of Bobby Knight uh, and has a completely different personality and a completely different approach. Um, but, you know, he, he comes from that Bobby Knight uh, uh, coaching tree out there. And, and I, I think Bobby Knight is he's an icon. He's mm. definitely an icon. Yeah, very good. Uh, what is Chris Beard uh, like at Texas Tech, and how much longer can he stay there after taking his team to the Final Four uh, just a couple of years ago? He's unbelievable, incredible, fantastic, and you know he has this personality and this approach that is so refreshing. And you know he's young enough to relate to his players, old enough uh, to be wise. And, and he's just instilled this uh, just toughness mantra that we have out there in Lubbock, Texas. And I feel fortunate every day that he has a fireside chat where he'll bring on a player and he'll talk to the tech students. And, and, and I feel fortunate when I see him coaching on the, on the sidelines against, you know, Bill Self and, and Shaka Smart and, and you know some of the some of the talent that exists in our conference right now certainly with Baylor um and and we have found a gem he's found a home in Lubbock his daughters are in school at Tech and in the public schools out there in Lubbock and he's a guy too that's comfortable in his own skin I don't think that's going to be enough to keep him there long term I do think that he's that talented in fact uh his defensive coordinator, if you want to call it that, a guy by the name of Mark Adams, was recruited to go coach and coach defense for the Chicago Bulls and elected to stay with Coach Beard and Lovett. And so, yeah, the question becomes, and listen, I already miss him, and he's still there, but I know he's not going to be there forever. <laughs> um, but the question is, you know, where would he go? And, and he's a graduate of University of Texas. He's from Houston. Uh, I, you know, I think he has everything he needs out in Lubbock, Texas, including a $4 million contract, including a great arena, including this uh, cachet that he's created by, by taking a team that was painfully, painfully close to winning the national championship. And I, I've still only been able to watch that game once um, since I was in the arena in Minneapolis. And, and, um, but there will be a day where, where someone comes calling. The question is who, right? And, and I, I do think that it will be a – if it's in college, it potentially could be University of Texas, although Shaka Smart really has a good team this year. They're building – we're building a brand-new arena here in Austin. It's going to be state-of-the-art, uh, and there would be nobody better to open that up than Chris Beard. But Shaka Smart is doing a great job this year and, and hopefully has found a home because he's a great individual. But it'll be, it'll be a blue blood program, and, and it probably won't be Duke because they'll stay within the Duke tree. Uh, it could be Kansas, although they're in our conference. You know, North Carolina, Roy is not going to be there forever. So on the college, yeah. and he, of course he was recruited to go to UCLA um, right after he got to the national championship game and, and, and turned it down. Um, but it could be somebody like that. I, I, I think, strange as it may sound, that he could be recruited up to the NBA, um, where the players are younger, 
they are more uh, malleable in terms of coaching them right now. He still relates to those players, and it'll come with a $10 million a year salary yeah. uh, to get him, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, look, he is, he is everything we could have ever asked for in a coach, and uh, I love him, and I already miss him, but I don't want him to go. So we, should probably, <laughs> so, so we should probably stop talking about him right now. I love it. Chris Beard, the head coach of Texas Tech, and a good uh, look back on uh, Bobby Knight. Okay, a little bit of a speed round here uh, as we've got uh, just a handful of minutes left in the uh, in the program here. Lima Land Hoops and History with Clayton Duncan. We're presented by Westgate Entertainment Center. Uh, you got to come up and have some pizza, man. You got to come to Lima and have some pizza, and I'd say definitely a beer. But right now I'm drinking a Diet Snapple, a half and half lemonade and iced tea. Have you ever have you ever heard of that? I've been on a three weeker without soda pop, and uh, I don't know if I can do it, but I'm trying. Yeah, uh, no, I haven't heard of that. Uh, at, uh, I'd also like to share a little story with your listeners. And when you and I were next door neighbors in Dallas, yeah, uh, I would say the way that I learned that you were leaving was when the Domino's pizza guy pulled pulls up to, to your to your house, walks out, hands you a pizza, and is like, "Man, the boys at the shop are talking that you're that you're moving back to Ohio, man. I just want to tell you how much we're gonna miss you." <laughs> and, and, and so when your listeners are, are, are hearing about the Westgate Entertainment Center and the quality of their pizza, they, they ought to know that, that that is a high recommendation coming from a man with your bona fides out well, there uh, around pizza. So, I, I, listen, I, I, I appreciate that. I have earned them well. I, uh, what was the place up on Mockingbird? It was at Campisi's Egyptian Pizza? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's the infamous place where Steve Parlemo – Parlemo, uh, the the former major league umpire, one of the best, ended up uh, you know breaking up uh, an assault and getting shot and paralyzed, uh, and really never came back from that. But uh, a that was great pizza, and b tragic for Steve Palermo, uh, who was doing games uh, in the Dallas area with the Texas Rangers at that time. I would put, in terms of my rankings. In terms of eating, I would put Torelli's on Lower Greenville at the top of that list. Uh, then I go Stan's Blue Note just for a burger and a beer. And there was a Mexican place right around the corner, like right across the street from Stan's. Uh, we're right in my wheelhouse, and then Campisi's. Yeah, Blue Goose is what you're talking the about. The Blue Goose. Yeah, the Blue Goose. I watched the Yankees uh, beat the Braves in an unbelievable World Series game at the Blue Goose. Uh, on yeah. a fall night, and the beauty of that was, was it was like 70 degrees on a fall evening. All right, I I promised a little speed round here. Uh, rate I came about in the New York City, Connecticut area, and then in the Dallas area with talk radio, especially sports talk radio at the time, and it was blowing up. It, it's 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 everywhere now. Uh, it's omnipresent now, but back then it really wasn't. You had to kind of go look for it. Uh, but there was a guy by the name of Norm Hitchkiss, and uh, I do think he's had some health problems recently. But Norm Hitchkiss, uh, a sentence or less on Norm. Uh, if you held me to one word, I would tell you quirky. Uh, second word would be knowledgeable. 
And the third word there would be unique and just uh, a historian of all things Dallas sports related. Yeah. And an icon in the, on, the, on the radio scene in the Dallas Fort Worth Metroplex. Yeah, another icon who uh, really helped bring the SMU football team to its knees and the governor of the state of Texas to his knees, Dale Hansen. Yeah, Dale, Dale Hansen is a, a Bobby Knight-sized ego and uh, uh, bombastic, uh, blowhard might be another <laughs> word that I would, I would use with, with Dale Hansen, um, but also a legend in Dallas-Fort Worth broadcasting I, history. I couldn't look – I couldn't – I always had – he was on the Cowboys games. He had his own – you know, six o'clock and eleven o'clock sportscast. He had a radio show. Um, he was he, he, he'd roll into the broadcast from a bar next door and just take over <laughs> and just stand back. Right? Indeed. Uh, all right. So um, a couple a couple of things um, that uh, I, I thought would be somewhat interesting. The definition of success for the Cowboys in this speed round. Definition of success in the next couple of years for the Cowboys they got to get a bowl man they got to they got to get a Super Bowl right they used to be the team they used you know they had they had four uh Super Bowl championships and all of a sudden they are you know have have fallen behind uh the Patriots in that regard the Pittsburgh Steelers in that regard look when you're in Dallas and when you're with Jerry Jones and when you're with the Cowboys it, it is Super Bowl or bust yeah uh okay uh Two and a half years over under that Mike Shashevsky still the head coach at Duke. Under. Think he's going to be leaving. Look, I think that Mike Shashevsky he's had his own health issues. Uh, he's a grounded individual and knows what's important. I think he's a, uh, exasperated by the current state of athletics, certainly in this acute period of COVID that we're in. Uh, I don't think he likes uh, what college basketball has necessarily become, although he's embraced the rules. Um, and I, I feel like we're going to see a changing of the guard with him and, and Roy Williams in North Carolina sooner rather than later. Yeah, but, so both. You, you say both two and a half years. and Maybe Bayheim will go out with them as well. He's been there since the mid-70s at, uh, at Syracuse. Uh, all right. Yep, he has, and we and, you know we we have lost a couple of great coaches uh, over the last couple yep. of years, and you know one this week and and John Cheney at Temple, and yeah, and uh, you know you just uh, there's so many memories wrapped to, up with, with with those guys. To think in the rolling calendar that you'd lose John Thompson and John T- Cheney uh, in a 12 month rolling calendar uh, for the folks that grew up in the uh, middle 80s, early 80s, middle 80s, and uh, into the 90s is really, um, you know, it's sad. There's been so many sports legends die, Clayton, uh, in the last rolling calendar. It's really remarkable and uh, not something that's uh, fun. It's like my youth is like passing before my eyes, uh, literally. Uh, All right, let's finish up with this. Uh, Super Bowl 55, it's uh, in Tampa, TB12 versus Patrick Mahomes. It's the Buccaneers and the Chiefs. And uh, I have to tell you that uh, I did predict this back in September. It's on. It's on the record. It's on the radio. Uh, I only thought if Tom Brady could go down there, they had enough pieces 
offensively, and then defensively they had been very good uh, over the years. And then, of course, Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid are a uh, circus when they come to town uh, with all kinds of talent around them. How do you see this game breaking down? Well, the first thing we have to recognize, and, and you didn't quite get his full name, it's former Red Raider Patrick Mahomes. Okay. Uh, leading, right? And so, forgive me. Forgive me. Yeah, that's okay. That's all right. So I think the some of the things that Kansas City is incredibly talented. They have athletes at every position. Um, and some of the things that they do schematically on offense, um, my friends who are football coaches are like, nobody does this, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think it, it really becomes a matchup of Kansas City's offense against uh, Tampa Bay's defense, which is fantastic out there. And it's hard to neglect Tom Brady and all this, but I, I think that's really what it comes down to. I think Tampa Bay's defense may be a little nicked up, uh, my money is on the Kansas City Chiefs, but you're you're asking me to bet against Tom Brady. So yeah, no. what do I? Everybody always puts that little caveat in there. I heard ah. I heard uh, the great uh, handicapper Danny Sheraton uh, from USA Today tell Dan Patrick, always just pick the winner, which you can't always do that, especially with a game that's three three points or three and a half points on the line. Uh, however, he said a great handicapper can pick games over the years at 57%. That's a great handicapper. If you would have just taken the winner of the Super Bowl, you would cover the spread 88% of the time. So he says, just pick the winner. So you're taking Kansas City. I'm going to take Tampa Bay just because it's on their home field. I think their defense is good. Uh, And I just have, I, you know, it's just, there's some shock treatment there that you just, I always fear Tom Brady in a Super Bowl. And so the Giants got him twice when they probably shouldn't have. And then maybe he won one or two, a one against Atlanta. That was a real meltdown on Atlanta's part. Yeah. Uh, and then the, 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 the crazy uh, Butler interception for the, for the uh, New England Patriots against uh, Russell Wilson. Um, they probably should have lost those two games uh, against those two teams. And then they probably should have won the game. So it all probably evens out against the Giants. I'm going to take Tom Brady and the uh, Buccaneers. Who'd you take back in September? I didn't take a winner. I just said who would get to the Super Bowl. So that's probably a faux pas on a on a radio broadcaster's part. Oh, wait, yeah. Wait, wait, way to go out on a limb back in September, brother. <laughs> uh, all right. Get you out of here on this. Uh, will uh, Tom Brady be playing in the year 2025? No. 2024. No. 2023. Yes. Okay. You're a you're a big time triathlete and a and a, a guy that's uh, maintained his shape over the years. So I'm going to take your uh, your take on all of that. And and by the way, I meant to ask you when the three J's were in Dallas when I was there. Jimmy Jackson, Jamal Mashburn, Jason Kidd. Uh, fair to say that that blew up over a Tony Braxton uh, date between Jimmy Jackson, who she was dating Jason Kidd, and things kind of went sideways, and then the Mavs kind of just folded. I mean, totally fair to say that. Uh, that was that was the straw that broke the camel's back right there. But, I mean, who, 
who's going to say no to perhaps the prettiest guy to ever grace a hardwood, Jimmy uh, Jimmy Jackson, right? Like, <laughs> come on. That's a no-brainer. I'd say uh, yes to Jimmy Jackson. Yeah. That's really funny. All right. Uh, anything that you would uh, like to uh, say where we've got about 60 seconds left? Uh, it's been a pleasure, man, having you on the podcast. I miss you. It's great, this technology that we get to visit this way uh, every now and again. Uh, but uh, I'm just wishing you and Steph and your kids, uh, Campbell and Parker, all the best for 2021, a healthy one. And uh, I can't wait to see them uh, play sports in person here in the near future. That's great, but that, that, that's going to necessitate a trip down here to Austin. I've been trying to get you to do that here for a little bit, right? I can't so. wait. I can't okay. wait. I'm coming okay. the next time that there's, like, not, you know, once everything's opened up, uh, I'm coming for a, uh, for a golf event, PGA Tour, uh, and or a March Madness uh, where Austin hosts some sites and we can go to some ball games. Well, that's going to happen sooner rather than later. We've got the Dell match play, which takes place at Austin Country Club, about two miles from my house. And once they get that new arena built uh, uh, in two years, um, we'll have some we'll have some regionals down here. So love to get you down here. Yeah. Hey, always a pleasure. Uh, don't be a stranger uh, to this podcast and uh, to the radio program. And uh, we'll look forward to uh, doing it in the near future. Clayton Duncan, everybody. Uh, who's just a tremendous person and uh, just a dear friend. Uh, appreciate you being a part of the uh, the uh, podcast. Southwest Bureau Chief signing out. <laughs> you got it, buddy. Uh, have a great evening. And uh, for all of us, including our good friends at Westgate Entertainment Center, we're going to get Clayton up here to have some of that great pizza uh, at Westgate Entertainment Center. The good folks, Andy and Wes Johnson, uh, over on Cable Road. Make it your stop before or after the game. Uh, Clayton, have a great evening, man. Uh, all the best to you. I'm Matt Childers for uh, all of us here at Lima Land Hoops and History. Make it a great week, everybody, and uh, enjoy the festivities in Super Bowl 55.